The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Time to wrap up the week here on the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast. Danny is going to join me momentarily here. We got to talk about the games we did today on the Twitter NBA show. If you missed that, Cleveland-Houston and Denver-OKC, both games that came down to the end with some good teams. I think in particular that Denver-OKC game, we learned something about those teams that we're really looking forward to getting to. Sponsored today by Ball & Branch spelled b-o-l-l and branch.com promo code cap space gets you fifty dollars off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the u.s using that promo code cap space again and so why don't we start with cleveland and houston here obviously cleveland still not the team that they're going to be by the end of the season chris paul mike d'antoni saying after the game he expects him to be back maybe in about a week or so and i'm sure they will ease him back in quite a bit here but uh watching this game did you feel really did it make you feel better about houston this 117 113 victory or cleveland i'm concerned about houston's crunch time offense it just the only thing that they had alacrity on was their offensive rebounding and that really is what saved them here i mean considering how well they played in stretches of this game you expected them to to win it going away they did have some bad luck you know some shots that easily could have gone in that didn't they ended the game a little bit under 35 percent from three and a lot of those were clean looks but down the stretch and houston will play games where that are decided down the stretch in the playoffs they it wasn't imaginative it wasn't challenging Cleveland's defense, which is porous, especially in the half court and transition. And that's concerning because they have so much talent. And yes, Chris Paul is out. And yes, you know, they're still trying to figure some of these elements out. They were missing in Bamute, not that he was going to play in crunch time anyway, but that was concerning for me. And I mean, Cleveland, I feel like we kind of know what they are at this point. But with Houston, you're seeing these things and going, well, they need to improve that because we haven't seen them prove it the way that Cleveland has. I think that's absolutely right. And now Cleveland, of course, had Kyrie Irving as well and LeBron. And Kyrie, to me, is even a much better ISO player than James Harden. And Harden was outstanding in this game. I mean, this was really an unbelievable game that he had. Triple-double, 35 points, 13 assists, 6 of 14 from downtown only 8 of 21 from the field but he got 10 of 10 at the foul line in the first half a lot of those fouls kind of the bs james harden foul drawing variety but they're still worth two points just the same and this is also a game where houston pushed extremely hard ariza 43 minutes harden 43 minutes eric gordon started played 40 minutes but for houston and this has been a problem for them for a long time you go back to game five last year against san antonio where Kawhi leonard was out and harden ran out of gas at the end it was just iso maybe you get the switch maybe if you're lucky they target the worst player on the other team and then they don't even really move that hard and harden just wants to run the clock down and take almost invariably a step back three-pointer every once in a while they would try to involve kevin love's man before he fouled out 
and Harden was great in this game slipping passes to the role man most often Clint Capella as they tried to trap him in these situations but you're right Danny he just they wait and they wait and Harden dribbles around and he's not really trying and it didn't help that they had like a mild lead throughout most of this time and then they would miss it and they just got bailed out time and time again by PJ Tucker who was unbelievable offensive rebounding in the fourth quarter yeah and he was he was strong in in different ways over the course of the game he hit a couple shots early which was good but then six offensive rebounds in total Clint Capella had another six and in total they had 17 which is ridiculous and yes Cleveland is playing smaller without Tristan Thompson on the floor but that's a ton of of defensive rebounds left on the table that they that they did and then Houston and to the credit you you don't want to you don't want to kill Cleveland without praising Houston because a lot of this was especially at the end of this remarkable effort by the Rockets players to to get into those situations and if they couldn't grab it just hit it somewhere so one of their other teammates could get it yeah and and Cleveland what we talked about with them in their game against the Bucks is what are they going to do for traditional big men now love starting at center did not have the impact of course that he had against Milwaukee uh was in foul trouble throughout fouled out with about uh, under two minutes remaining did shoot it well from three lebron was was fantastic as well uh, and then channing fry played seven minutes in the first half and you know looks he's gonna struggle really any slow-footed big man against houston if you can't either switch the pick and roll or try to guard it two on two you're gonna be in trouble with all these three-point shooters that houston has and so they went even with a lot of time with Jeff Green of all players playing at center and Green you know had probably I don't want to say necessarily the game of his life because I think he might even had like a 40 point game at one point in Boston but certainly this game of the last two or three years uh, playing in large part at center he had I think 20 points just in the first half and as generated a a, a impassioned response on the Twitter NBA show yeah Green's career high is 43 uh he kept on just going to his right hand and 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 Houston just had no interest in really stopping what he did well. But to his credit, he was doing it. You know, Jeff Green was was in those moments. He was also you know de- active enough on the on the boards for a guy who was playing out of out of position at center for a lot of the time. Something else. Well, first of all, we should mention LeBron. Like it looked early on, like this game was going to get out of hand. Not only because the Rockets took a big lead, but because LeBron tweaked his ankle, was looked in significant discomfort, checked himself out of the game. But then he ended up returning and still played. 40 minutes because he's LeBron James and he's a cyborg and the other just important story of this game was that Cleveland just got in foul trouble consistently and in the third quarter I think they were it was within three minutes or four minutes that Houston was in the bonus it was I think within five in the fourth quarter and that helped provide a foundation for Houston's offense even when those threes that I felt were open and they were missing more of them than they normally would were not falling. What do you think of the fact that Harden played 43 minutes and the entire second half, Ariza played 43 minutes, D'Antoni basically playing only seven guys here. Uh, Bobby Brown got five minutes. I believe those were the only five minutes that Harden was off the floor. The Cleveland went right at him defensively with LeBron uh, with in small, small picket rolls. But I realized that Mbamute Mute was out. I realized that Chris Paul is out. But they really couldn't find any, any more space for, for any of these guys. I mean, I guess they would have had to go. I mean, because Joe Chi's not going to play. Tarek Black, they already had enough big man out on the floor already with Nene ahead of him in the rotation. So it's really Demetrius Jackson and that or Bobby Brown would have had to have played more. So maybe, you know, that really is about the only option. And then P.J. Tucker was in foul trouble the whole time, so he couldn't play more minutes. So maybe they just felt like they didn't have a choice. 
there's always a choice. This is a regular season game in early November. If you're prioritizing giving giving Harden those minutes, and this isn't a must-win game, you know, this is, is not a situation where Houston is doubting themselves. First of all, they're playing without Chris Paul. I mean, they have a pedigree. They've made the conference finals with a largely similar team, and it's November. D'Antoni, you have to save something for later on, and there is no game yeah. this early well, for Well, I will say this. Both teams saved plenty on defense. <laughs> That's all also true on defense yeah and this game a part of why they were why this game was played at a, a fast pace at least early on i am i remember correctly that this game slowed down a lot over the course of the game yeah it did because houston was <laughs> running the clock down the entire time um but in the end but yeah it was 55 possessions in the first half yeah because neither team was really doing anything to stop there were also a lot of bad turnovers i mean early on we couldn't stop talking about lebron he had four bad turnovers in the first quarter that really weren't there and that's unusual for him and yeah because you he does that sometimes you know it's part and parcel to a guy who's a creative passer and an aggressive passer but a lot of them were just not the usual type of LeBron passes so that was notable and I did walk away from this game satisfied as I have been really this whole season with Eric Gordon's confidence and he's not a perfect defender but he is more active he was active today we'll talk about that more in the second game there were some real standouts there and his just strength for his body for his size and everything else like it makes him stout there were a couple times when LeBron wanted to post him up it's one of those you know oh he's much smaller than me and LeBron didn't gain that much ground other than one time where he he got a pretty good boost in there but it was more because he got a shoulder in a different way but Eric Gordon can can be productive and and they are going to need that at various moments especially if they want to consider playing Gordon at the three in certain moments yeah I did like what we saw from Gordon I mean 40 minutes for him that's a that's got to be the most he's played in a non-overtime game in quite some time actually starting this one just because again they didn't really have anyone else um overall for houston this game we mentioned the offensive rebounding they had 44 percent of available offensive rebounds and for cleveland they just were not on the offensive glass at all they only had four offensive rebounds in the whole game so kevin love really a little bit overwhelmed jay crowder despite the fact that their shorthanded derrick rose didn't play in this one either still only played 24 minutes himself i did think that cleveland found something down the end defensively when they brought crowder in and they were able to switch everything they had they didn't really have any weak sisters out there because they started shumpert at the point i thought shumpert actually gave them some solid energy when he was in there other than taking his two terrible contested long twos per game but he made one of the two so that helped a little bit shumpert had five assists which was useful and just a lot of energy closing out on some of those shooters for houston but when they went with crowder james smith shumpert and jeff green they were able to get the initial stop but then pj tucker who really is by far the most tenacious rebounder on the floor when a team goes that small really was able to make a difference much as he made a difference down the stretch against golden state as well on, on opening night and when with teams going smaller guys like tucker who really you know maybe were undersized power forwards back in college but still have that type of desire to go after the ball which a lot of guys kind of just have trained out of them as they're just standing around the three-point line and shooting or focusing on, on switching or playing a role and just you know their coach to get back on defense now that kind of effort especially in a regular season game can really be shocking for some of these teams you also in this game got a reminder of just how good the top end talent on the Rockets is I mean they were playing without Chris Paul who is one of the 10 best players in the league still to 
to me. And they were able to get quality minutes. It helps when you're playing a super narrow rotation. But you think about where they're where they're going, and that's to me why the crunch time offense is such a concern. Is that they don't have as many other questions as you might think. I mean, in this game, also Luke Strachan and Bamute didn't play, which is another op- option that they would have had in the forward rotation, and maybe that would even have slid some of the guards down. Could have done some things differently. So with with the Rockets, I'm going to be watching that closely the whole rest of the year. I also want to see more out of their defense, just broadly speaking. And also, I thought Ryan Anderson was a kind of an unusual game for him in that sometimes he was standing out there not getting the ball and then there were a couple times where he actually chose to drive the drive it instead of taking a shot that looked like it was pretty reasonable he wasn't terrible defensively but he also you know he never stands out in a positive way on that end so I think they're going to figure it out I I still am a believer in the Rockets I believe that they have the second highest ceiling in the Western Conference but the crunch time thing because it is persistent and we're going to talk about this with another team it also since it has existed over multiple coaches that's something else that concerns me because it's like key players but different coaches is that okay well if it's still stagnant maybe that's just the way it is and the way it is with James Harden in particular um just I don't know whether it's because he's tired at the end of the game he just loves to be in control of everything whatever it is um and also I think a word on some of the defense that we talked about with Harden in this game he had five steals and that matters for sure in the first quarter I think he might even had four so you don't want to discount that I mean those and he doesn't take himself out of position necessarily by gambling that much but he also he just like he doesn't even try sometimes and it's even gotten to the point where it's on the ball now unless he's in the post maybe he'll try a little bit but like J.R. Smith comes down and J.R. is not like some awesome transition score who's just going to get you on your heels and blow by you with a Euro step or something and comes down off the dribble on the left wing. Harden is there. He like kind of gets into his stance and then J.R. just straight line dribbles to his right hand right to the middle of the floor and Harden literally didn't even move his feet. He didn't even attempt to make one slide and it really is just and then anytime off the ball a screen gets set for him and maybe maybe he'll be better once Paul comes back maybe Paul will hold him accountable but you know we've been saying this about Harden and then every once in a while oh his defense is a little better yeah okay it's a little better but it still is a huge liability right and anytime a screen is set on him it's an auto switch I mean he's basically like and Kyrie has tried harder this year but he's basically it's he's like the shooting guard version of Kyrie at this point and so they just get themselves in tough matchups even on just like pretty middling screens that aren't making a ton of contact involving relatively non-threatening players and so Houston is just starting off defensively in a switch in a bad matchup very early in possession so often because Harden just simply is not even going to move a muscle to get through any kind of even an off-ball screen. Harden is even more frustrating for me than Kyrie because he's a more intuitive player like Kyrie off offensively you know, like he he's more like preternaturally gifted in terms of like he can just get to a spot and do it. With Harden, you can see the machinations, especially offensively, and there are certain times where it seems like he understands what's going on and just doesn't care. And and he has, he has great length he's strong like there isn't really a good reason for him to suck this badly like physically and it creates so much trouble for his teammates because when a, a, a player of really even you talked about how jr is not of great renown in terms of being a ball handler or a driver when you provide zero resistance they're getting there too fast for the help to come and so you're either sabotaging them by giving him a foul or an easy bucket and a little bit more resistance would make it that much harder to score and that's actually something we saw a little bit in the second game in the in the OKC Denver game there were a couple times where you know yeah guys got beat but they didn't get beat in 
so badly that everybody else is just hung out to dry we probably would be remiss before we depart this game here to not mention more on Capella's performance. You had the six offensive rebounds, but he had 19 points, seven of nine from the field, a further five of nine from the foul line. Four block shots. He had a couple of really big blocks, including one at the end. On LeBron. That sealed it. it yeah, uh, on LeBron. He did turn it over five times. A, a lot of those on, on the illegal screen turnovers. But usually they'll they'll close with Nene or they'll go small with Tucker at center. And Capella earned it to be out there. He did a really nice job. He was making pretty decent decisions and pick and roll as well. I mean, he got in trouble with D'Antoni early for missing a guy wide open in the corner uh, on those short roll plays because they're trying to trap Harden and force Capella to make a decision four on three and then he started actually hitting the guy in the corner maybe even almost too much but still put up those 19 points had a huge alley-oop uh, as well off of uh, James Harden actually getting a loose ball that ended up being forced to, by PJ Tucker and, and Tucker I mean if he continues to shoot from three-point range getting up five shots in 29 minutes like that's enough to keep the defense honest he made two of those and of course the six offensive rebounds and just the level of effort that he provides is just something that they have not had Houston it is very rare that you can say that Houston is the team out hustling the opposition and while Cleveland not exactly renowned in that department it's still good to see Houston be able to do that to somebody right and they're going to have to at some point so I don't know how much you take away from this game other than Houston's crunch time struggles but you know it ended up being interesting late just to to get some of those perspectives on it and to see different players in different situations and I, 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 I it's hard when you have teams that you know are going to be playing for a long time sometimes to get those reads early in the season but I enjoyed this one I'm happy we did it for the Twitter show well, it is quite late at night here, 12.32 a.m. now on the West Coast. And once we are done, I'm going to yawn a few times, stretch out, and go to bed on my incredibly comfortable bowl and branch sheets. One of the downsides of our new place is that it doesn't have air conditioning, but bowl and branch sheets are so cool and comfortable, we haven't had an issue at all getting to sleep. They sell exclusively online, so you don't have to pay the expensive retail markup and they're really just the most comfortable sheets that I have owned that I have slept on. And you don't have to trust me on that at all because you can also try them for 30 nights and see for yourself whether they measure up for you. If you're not impressed, you can return them for a full refund. They have thousands of five-star reviews, New York Times, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, and even three U.S. presidents have Ball & Branch sheets. The way to get started with them is Ball & Branch, B-O-L-L, and branch.com and get $50 off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use that promo code CAPSPACE. That's $50 off plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com, B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code CAPSPACE. Let them know that you came from us. Why don't we do a, a quick uh, news segment here before we do Denver and OKC. Not a ton that really sticks out. Uh, the Suns are apparently interested in Jaleel Okafor. Phoenix and Chicago previously have been reported as a logical destination for him. And maybe this is the start of a potential Greg Monroe to Philly trade. We'll see whether that could involve Amir Johnson, who of course can't be traded until December 15th. Or maybe it could be Jared Bayless, who now is ailing again 
with wrist issues although I believe it's the opposite wrist from the one that sidelined him for nearly the entirety of last season and Philly will have to throw something in probably to get off of Bayless's salary for next year but because I don't think that Jaleel Okafor will be enough Greg Monroe is probably worth more than Jaleel Okafor just as a player right now but maybe that's something that can happen if the Suns are interested in Okafor getting back Monroe I think would be a nice coup for this Philly team to have Holmes and Monroe both available Monroe can probably play over Holmes most of the time and then you have Holmes and Monroe available for the games that Joel Embiid is going to miss hopefully Embiid he did return after tweaking his ankle tonight but hopefully that means he'll be able to make it to Saturday's game against Golden State. Uh, what else we got here? Well, something I wanted to ask you was, would you consider Justin Anderson too big a piece to throw into that to make it happen? You know, it doesn't really seem like he's a big part of the plan in Philly at this point. You know, third-year player, not really. He's just on the fringes of their rotation. I still think they actually could use him and that he should be getting a little bit more of a shot there with his athleticism. And you can never have too many of these guys in the wing. And maybe he figures it out eventually from a shooting perspective but you know if I had to throw in Justin Anderson that could get me off at next year of Jared Bayless who's making nine million next year and that's all I had to do yeah I think I, I probably could be convinced there you know I'm not sure that Anderson necessarily fits in with what Phoenix wants to do just because they've got both Josh Jackson and TJ Warren already so you might say that someone like uh Timothy Luau Cabarro might be someone that they would would ask for instead there uh, or maybe a, a Furkan Korkmaz type of player I think that would be more what Phoenix is looking for uh, but yeah who knows maybe this it hasn't been reported that Monroe might go to Philly I think it's just a kind of a logical destination for him um and the other yeah. component of this that we should mention is that while Philly does have cap space at the moment we expect that to at least largely be tied up in a Robert Covington renegotiation extension and we're under a week away from the beginning of when that could happen because it's three years from the November 15th so that means November 15th is the first day that he can agree to that we don't know if anything's done yet but that's the time that they're saving space for. Ben McLemore in Memphis has been recalled from the D-League. You recall that he had that, what I believe is a Jones fracture in his foot, uh, but looks to be nearing readiness. And I think you know, Dave Yeager said at the start of the season, he wasn't sure whether he's going to start Wayne Selden or Ben McLemore. Little did we know that Selden or McLemore, neither of them would have played by this point in the season. And Tyreek Evans is playing extremely well. They've been getting by with Andrew Harrison starting at shooting guard, which, you know, he and Jarrell Martin together, amazing that Memphis has been able to be as good as they have been because they're, they're also missing Jermichael Green uh, with that high ankle sprain right now but if they could just get Harrison out of the rotation and maybe even you can push James Ennis or Dylan Brooks to play a little bit more four as well they can play Chandler Parsons at the four he's played well in a backup role and to just kind of squeeze Harrison and Martin out of the rotation a little bit just to get more solid NBA players in there I think that would really help Memphis this quite a bit yeah definitely and perimeter depth especially swingman depth is just valuable you can use it in a lot of different ways and they'll see that macklemore has different strengths and weaknesses especially than a guy like tyreek so we'll see where that goes on a little bit i thought we were going to do the chicago connection starting with jaleel okafor then going to patrick beverly noted chicago point guard who is missing the last two games of their road trip due to a sore right knee this is the third injury of a, a, a opening night starter for the clippers 
with Gallo dealing with the glute issue we talked about before and Milos Teodosic with the plantar fascia. And so, you know, the Clippers need to be healthy. They have good talent, but they need to be on there and they've been sliding a little bit. So we'll see how they handle these two games. Yeah, and Austin Rivers suffered an ankle injury. He's questionable for Friday as well. And, you know, the Clippers look great at the beginning and everyone's like, oh man, you know, these guys look so good. Like if you thought they're going to be 500, look out, these guys, those statistical projections are that they're going to be really good. Well, you know, now they have a lot of these guys who are prone to these nagging injuries and Teodosic we knew kind of fell into that category as well he doesn't really still have a timetable for returning either Beverly you know knee soreness that's a surgically repaired knee a a number of times now Uh, and so really if Rivers can't go you're looking at uh, Juwan Evans Lou Williams and Sundarius Thornwell as your only three healthy guards Sam Decker might have to slide down to playing some shooting guard Wes Johnson started the three and and they'll have plenty of bigs available, but it's going to be really hard to win games w- with that skeleton crew at the guard positions. And no one really who is a good passer to distribute the ball it puts a lot of playmaking pressure on Blake Griffin. And then what do you do when he's out of the game? It, it becomes very difficult. They also have a challenging schedule, not necessarily in terms of opponents the whole rest of the little way, but in terms of travel. So they only have one home game between now and November 26th. And that is a game at home against the Sixers on Monday. Other than that, they have this trip right now where they're in kind of the Midwest and the South, and they're going to the full East Coast, Charlotte, New York, and Atlanta, and a few other teams later on. So yeah, if these things start to linger, those are games that you would expect largely that you would expect the Clippers to win. But as you start to have more and more of a skeleton crew, when you drop those games, then it's harder to come back. Danny Ainge quelling some fears by noting that Al Horford's current concussion doesn't appear to be as bad as the one that sidelined him for nine games last season so that's good news for the Celtics although concussion certainly you never really know someone's back until they've totally cleared the protocol Kevin Durant missed Wednesday's game against Minnesota with a thigh contusion he could have played apparently were at a playoff game and expects to return against the Sixers on Saturday and Stanley Johnson and John Luer with a hip and ankle respectively are between questionable and doubtful for Friday against the Hawks and Johnson I think has been playing well defensively he's been a, a big part of Detroit's nice start here in Chicago they will actually get to see some all-stars playing in the United Center at some point in the next three years. They will. Uh, Chicago's hosting the 2020 All-Star Game, and uh, it's the second time in the pretty recent past that the NBA has done it in a cold-weather city because they had one in Toronto a couple years back. Yeah, New York was the year before that. That's so. true. I'd forgotten that. Was, I thought that was like five years ago. And and then the last piece of news is that we don't have the terms yet, but Giannis re-signed with Nike. There was He was a high-pro file you know kind of shoe things i think there was a matching clause or something in that and we don't have terms yet but he will get a signature shoe so that's that's good for him and i mean he'll probably at that point be riding a pretty significant wave as long as he stays healthy because he is a bona fide mvp candidate as of you know 10 to 15 games into the season yeah, I'd be very interested to see what they come up with in terms of marketing for him. He's not a guy where, other than the whole like wide-eyed, just came to America, loves smoothies type of persona, we haven't really gotten that huge of a window into what his personality is going to be as a big star. And so uh, I think this will be good for him to get a signature shoe to really start to get marketed on that level and good to, for the Bucks to have a player like that on their team. Let's, uh, let's talk OKC and Denver here. 
a game that uh, featured two offenses that are struggling a little bit more than we expected and i thought that okc again really struggled this was a slow game 92 possessions they put up only one point per possession denver i thought their defense was solid in this one but okc continues to not get to the foul line at all which is really surprising that has hurt russell westbrook's efficiency in particular and so my question to you dan is a 102 92 denver win as they pulled away late i think it was actually tied at 92 at one point uh what's wrong with okc's offense just watching them as opposed to statistically the same things that have been wrong with their offense at, at moments in other years including game six of the 2016 western conference finals they're just not doing enough they're the there isn't much ball movement there isn't much player movement and an amazing stat that ben golver sports illustrated had is that this entire season the thunder have three assisted baskets in crunch time and they've played a lot of crunch time games i mean this one fell into that category this was the sixth game they played yeah yeah and i believe they are zero and six in those games is that correct yeah with a i think it's now a negative 60 net rating in those games so you think about how big a swing that is they were 10 games over 500 last year in clutch situations and now they're six games they're zero and six they're not six under 500 they're zero and six yeah and they also have yet to defeat a western conference team as well something that may not help if they get into a tiebreaker situation later and some of the carnage for okc the interesting thing is they're getting up a lot of three-pointers again 33 pointers again tonight but just not getting the foul and then they're bricking foul shots as well russell westbrook is shooting like 60 percent from the foul line he's always been an 80 percent free throw shooter they're 7 of 14 overall he was 0 for 3 tonight uh only had 13 points on 23 shooting possessions that is horrendous and only five assists as well as okc tallied 16 as a team and denver you know this is uh, i thought that they did some nice things but it, a lot of it was just straight up switching and shockingly enough like okc a team that has sensibly all of these one-on-one athlete types not able to break loose i mean paul george also only 13 points he was 0 for 2 from the foul line himself i mean when westbrook george and carmelo are combining for only seven free throw attempts you got real problems remember that Melo was really hitting his threes in this game most of them were clean looks and most of them were the catch and shoot varieties better on catch and shoots than pull-ups but he was six of ten from three and that was a, a life raft at certain moments for their offense and I think the biggest takeaway for me other than Oklahoma City's uh, crunch time offensive struggles in this was two really strong defensive performances so one was Paul George Paul George was just a monster in the half court in particular just sticking with his guy whether he he had to go over screens if he's in certain situations where he had to help or react or be between two guys I thought he did a wonderful job and then Paul Millsap was in a different place on the floor but I thought in switches he was good he had some really nice transition stops on Russell Westbrook he was getting back he also crashed the offensive glass a little bit and he's you know he he's in the right place at the right time for blocks and steals that's that was kind of one of his hallmarks as an Atlanta Hawk and those things have largely carried yeah, over six blocks for Millsap tonight. yes six blocks and two steals and he was part of what Oklahoma City struggled at the rim at moments in this game and they struggled to the rim in transition which was important too so I thought those were two important facets and I mean Denver has been they've been solid defensively you know they're they're right around the mid, mid pack of the league and OKC yeah they lost this game and they're below 500 they still have the number two defense in the NBA 
Yeah, what I found most telling about Westbrook's performance was four of 11 at the rim. Again, and Millsap was a big part of that. You know, Jokic is not a guy who necessarily forces a lot of misses. I don't think of Plumlee as necessarily being in that category either, uh, although Plumlee did play well offensively. But yeah, I mean, Millsap just provides the toughness and energy that this team utterly lacked previously, just in terms of knowing when to help, having the ability to actually affect people at the rim, having those quick hands as well as some of the best hands of anyone as a traditional power forward type of player knowing when to just not guard people always being good on the scouting report it really is remarkable at least in this game what he gave them because they just didn't have anyone on this team who could make a play defensively last year they never blocked shots they never forced turnovers they didn't have anyone playing with force i mean you had like Jokic and murray and gallo and guys who even if they cared just didn't have the force to be able to make the other team uncomfortable and that's what Millsap really has provided and there's thought that he would drop off you know this is probably the closest i've watched the nuggets because we were actually doing their game for the twitter show and so i was really locked in on every play that he was making but it was really outstanding and then let me ask you this i mean andre Andre robertson played 34 minutes two of four to have five assists which is kind of random uh but how much is and he was plus three as well so tough to necessarily blame him and he does make them absolutely impossible to score against too because with him george westbrook is impossible on a switch i mean anthony maybe you can attack him but if they have grant in the game they just have so many of these long athletes patterson is rounding into shape a little bit did did he look better to you by the way today patterson yeah he was moving he was moving better and i thought there were a couple plays getting there there are a couple plays defensively where he he was able to get to a spot more reliably than he was in earlier games this year so yeah i thought he was it was definitely better and with robertson another challenge he is a wonderful team defender and i I, this this is something that comes up with robert covington too where i I think he's better as a team defender sometimes than a one-on-one guy and those one-on-one guys get fetishized too much like avery bradley where it's like yeah he's good at shutting his guy down but you don't always necessarily see the proof in the pudding in terms of everything else but with robertson you have that but the problem is denver in prior years no not as much right now has been a, a really dominant in offense there isn't really that guy for him on this team though there isn't a, a person where you, on the perimeter where you're saying oh put Robertson there and you're going to make that guy's life hell oh you're going to do that to Wilson Chandler Wilson Chandler is not going to beat you anyway and so they don't really have that fifth guy my thought was that it was going to be Patterson I think he's still working his way in Jeremy Grant has had a better season than I thought but I still don't, he's not really the perfect fit if you're going to have Adams out there so they might just have to deal with Robertson for right now but it is something that they need to consider especially like they I think they were with Felton you know they went with Felton when they needed to come back at certain moments in this game and Felton Westbrook is okay but in many ways it's a hat on a hat because neither of those guys is just really dominant off ball Felton can catch and shoot but other than that I mean you're not freaking out about him being on the floor yeah and Denver did a nice job of helping off of Robertson intelligently Jamal Murray had a couple nice ones and actually Murray had a pretty miserable stint to start I mean he was going up against George he's going up against Robertson those guys made it difficult for him in his first stint, and then he played much better in the second half still got the Keith Bogans but he at least got to stay in for a little bit longer and he had some of the best stretches of defensive play that I've seen from him I mean that's damning with faint praise to be sure but I saw a few relatively encouraging things now it helped that the Thunder weren't really going at him in isolation very much but 
Russell Westbrook he actually cut him off a couple of times and Westbrook doesn't seem to quite have the same burst I noticed this too I mean on switches against Millsap Millsap was able to cut him off pretty well Westbrook's never been an incredibly high percentage finisher on the rim but we mentioned his four of 11 today and maybe he'll round into form I've also noticed that he just has not been pushing the ball at that breakneck speed like he did last year and I think that last year he knew hey you know what we're just not going to score unless I push the ball down their throats and now he's like well you know I don't want to like go what could end up being like one on two and missing a layup because then you know Carmelo doesn't get a touch and Paul George doesn't get a touch I mean Westbrook did take 22 shots ultimately but a lot of those were late as he really tried to shoot them back into it um we also saw that Billy Donovan changed up the rotation going with Paul George as the guy on the second unit it's kind of running things while Carmelo and Westbrook were the two playing together yeah I I, I mean in the first half those lineups when Paul George was out there by his lonesome and they were trying to do that also to get him rhythm because he was just off at the beginning of this game offensively you know defensively I thought he had a nice job but he's just not a dominant enough offensive player both in terms of his handle and just the way that he executes to sustain their offense and Westbrook and and Mello to me are a little bit I mean Mello was was making his threes in this game so that's a little bit different but I I think that the more logical split is Russ and George together and Mello separate but at the same point at the beginning of the season try things out see what works see what doesn't they're still gonna I mean I still have full confidence they're gonna make the playoffs so they don't need to be that freaked out though we're starting to get closer to the questions about whether seeding might end up mattering because as you start sliding below 500 then it gets harder but it's not like other than the Warriors and to a point the Rockets anybody's really just surging out in front of the pack We've gone far too long without mentioning Emmanuel Moutier's game. Probably the best game of his career. You have to say we're pretty close. No, I think he had like 25 in the first half in Boston last year when the Nuggets beat them pretty early in the season. So maybe I, I'm misstating that. But 30 minutes, 21 points, only 10 shooting possessions, 4 of 4 from downtown. And he looks more comfortable taking that. He still kind of has that weird leg kick, still kind of shoots on the way down a little bit. But Moutier is up to 47 percent from downtown he's actually hitting his free throws as well 77 percent there and you know it's very early when you're making your shots it's easy to keep taking them you know i mean that's to me is one of the big things that separates you know so some of these guys who are start off as non-shooters it's like are you still going to shoot after you miss a few in a row or are you going to change up and start doing other things like Dray- Draymond Green he's not going to keep shooting if he misses a couple right he'll feel guilty and try to get other guys involved which is probably a smart move but if you're a shooter and you're open you're going to shoot it regardless of, of whether you've been missing or not I don't know if Moutier is there yet but he at least has been making shots I thought he had a few beautiful finishes around the rim that's been something that has really held his career back also shooting under 50% at the rim his first two seasons and then he at least you know we didn't see just the terrible screw-ups defensively from him either you know I'm not sure that he's some great shakes yet but at least to not be hey we can do the whole game and not say hey here's all these mistakes for Moutier that's progress for him also he's also very young he is playing this entire almost season at age 21 and he has another year on the rookie scale contract you know, it's higher because he was a it was a high draft pick but they're seeing signs from him and that's 
it takes a while with point guards and people lose patience with it. They, that, that's something we get all the time. Like, oh, are you going to write off? You know, we've got some of that with, with Fultz and it's like, you know, he's hurt and everything else and the shooting motion is there. But it's like, you need to give these guys time. It, it's the, the old stalwart, you know, other than the best of the best, it takes a while. So be patient with it. And that's also, you know, why you, when you draft a guy, you can throw him into the fire. I'm totally fine with that in the right circumstance, but you teams and their fan bases are wise to, to be patient with it. And other teams are wise to try to, you know, if a team is going to give up on a guy a little bit too early, give it a shot. Cause I mean, he's 21. He, like, imagine if he had been involved in a trade already and he was starting to look like he was figuring out in the new place. Will Barton also played well. He really gave Denver something that they didn't have a ton of, which is the ability to beat switches. OKC was doing a lot of that and caused Denver some pretty big difficulties, in particular at the beginning of the first and third quarter. But Barton just was able to get to the foul line enough, didn't have the three ball working, but had a few critical buckets where he was able to get by guys late in the clock on switches where it looked like the possession wasn't going anywhere. And there's a lot of value added in the ability to hit shots like that where you can take a possession that looks like it's going to be very low and then transform it into a bucket is pretty useful and then Jokic was in foul trouble only played 11 minutes in the first half got three fouls but still I thought had two just absolutely delightful plays one of them was he was posting up on Paul George on a switch and the pass went to Jokic kind of away from his body and he could feel George kind of reach around him and, and was about to steal it and so Jokic almost like he was trying to tap a rebound to himself just tapped the pass to himself in the air and then that just ended up getting a layup completely wrong-footed George on that and then another play when he was fronted in the post they threw up a lob to him and his left arm was kind of pinned against his body so he just caught it one-handed and then came down and just laid it in the left hand never touched the ball it was just really both of those are just beautiful cheeky plays that he makes him one of your favorite players to watch even as Denver is figuring out their offense and has these rough moments Jokic makes them must watch because he does things that nobody else at his size or really any other size would even think about doing sometimes that's passing you know he makes those over the head passes and things like that but also it's you know plays like the touching the ball to himself and catching it one-handed and I I talked about this a little bit on the show but it's like you know it seems like he just interprets problems in a different way and I don't know if that's his experience with the sport or something else just the way he is as a person but those players are just so engaging because they surprise you more than anybody else does yeah he kind of looks like a water polo player out there in some ways with the way he moves the ball around as well well we've been talking about a lot of stats and if you like fantasy basketball you love basketball stats you can try what i think is the best app for fantasy basketball draft it's daily fantasy basketball but different because you play with snake drafts and that gives you a much better chance of winning so that it doesn't really make it worthwhile for professionals to play usually in traditional salary cap leagues they can enter hundreds of lineups and those guys end up winning more of the money it's much easier to win money as you know i want to say you're a regular joe but i'm guessing you're probably not spending your entire life playing fantasy basketball you want to just play and and have a good time watch some of the games on league pass root for your players and that's what the snake drafting allows you to do it only takes you a couple of minutes you could join one whenever you want play for cash and they started just one dollar so it's a draft for everyone 
So download the app anytime. You just search Draft in your app store. Join a game in minutes. You can play from your computer at draft.com. And for limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit using that familiar promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember, we talk about it all the time in the program. You can play a real money game for free using my promo code CAPSPACE. Let them know that you came from us on your first deposit. All right, so we wanted to do a little mini mailbag here with some questions we got on Periscope that I thought were fun. And we decided, hey, let's just save them for the podcast when we'll have a little bit more time to dig in. Where I wanted to start, though, is a reminder that lo many years ago on the eve of 2016 free agency one danny larue bet me that dwight howard would get at least 100 million dollars in guaranteed money as a free agent he signed i believe a three-year 65 million dollar contract with the hawks has since been traded on that contract to the charlotte hornets and so because danny lost that the loser had to do a film work punishment that he would then report on on the podcast and so we got some suggestions for finally doing this on the twitter nba show and i think where i would like to go is i'm going to make danny watch rajon rondo's spot up possessions and see just what this devastating outside shooter uh, is able to do and, and he can report back as to how awesome uh how he's really improved his his outside shooting yay i guess you'll have to go back to last year because he hasn't played yet no i just uh, have to do his maybe... spot ups from this year <laughs> Yeah, it was it was funny though because there were so, some ideas that that were were scary to me. But the the one that I, I kind of went back and forth on was about Hassan Whiteside post ups because it's like, well, you know you know how they're all going to end, so you don't have that kind of a mystery. But yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. People really did did get engaged with it. And, and Rondo, I mean, there were a couple other options. Me, I'm, I'm watching Rondo's defense from last year. I don't know if you could do like Dwayne Wade's. I would actually like it, it would be fun if somebody just did a camera on Dwayne Wade when the Cavs are in transition defense just so we could just watch to see if he's like having having a nice snack or something like that because I... oh man maybe maybe i should have you watch like someone's like defensive pick and roll <laughs> possessions that might actually be even better oh no i shouldn't have i shouldn't have kept talking that was that was my mistake that was <laughs> that was my mistake i i should have just taken it but but let's move on to the all right, well, all right. So, so it's up to you. You can. I'll let you choose. You can do Rondo spot ups or Rondo uh, pick and roll defense from last I'll, year. I'll look and see if that's something that's easily doable with with synergy. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll announce my decision during. The- oh don't oh don't worry. I will. Uh, I would be happy to. No, uh, no to help I, I you will. Un- Maybe we can even watch it together. Maybe we can even video you oh, watching God. it with. That us. could be. That could be the like the, the that could be like the the subscriber bonus for like for for this for this month or next month or something oh i can't oh no how do i keep making this worse i just can't stop fucking talking well yeah it's funny you just yeah you just can't stop yourself from talking sometimes sometimes it pays off um all right so we do let's do some real questions here Uh, this is from uh b veselic who is the best player in the nba at post-ups and there's an interesting construct to this question of just what that even means to be the best player in the nba as post-ups are we counting passing are we saying this guy is going to post up? You could have anybody in the NBA defend him, and we still want to say who's going to have the best chance of scoring. Uh, I mean, I guess you can kind of my, meld all that together and just say, hey, you know, if there's one player in the NBA that I want to go into the post against the sort of player who would typically be guarding him, who would that be? And uh, who comes to mind for you here? So that distinction that you made is a fair one. And I think that's what takes Jokic to a lower degree because he's so good at attacking players that are smaller than he is. And the first guy that I thought of, and it's hard because 
because he's not a traditional post-up guy is Carl Anthony Towns. Because what Towns can do that's so so terrifying to like-sized players is that he can go from that post-up to a turn and face and just blow by because he's so quick for his size and his handle is solid that Towns can exploit like-sized players well. You know, he doesn't have that, you know, the, the, the arsenal, like the McHale-style arsenal of moves, but he knows what he does well, and I feel like he gets into spots. And then if you want to add in passing, I think then Jokic gets a little bit stronger. I also want to mention Brook Lopez. I think Lopez is just a, a really skilled player in those circumstances and that he knows he knows where he wants to put the ball, and it feels to me like he has a plan and he has enough counters to get there. Yeah, Town certainly is at the forefront of the list for me as well. He's the only guy that I've ever seen actually like dominate Draymond Green in the post. Uh, and he's, he's done that to him a couple of times in their matchups. But I think it has to be LeBron James, especially when you say the caveat of the sort of player who's typically going to be guarding yeah, that's him. Right? Because, yeah, I mean, you know, you could put a power forward on him, but then that guy is going to be too slow to deal with him on the perimeter. And so now he's going to be able to overpower just about anyone who's guarding him. And then if you double team, he, he's probably the best passer out of the post in the nba as well so he's someone that comes to mind anyone else you feel like should be in this discussion uh, other than towns and uh and lebron how do you feel about canner i think canner's more in the Jokic camp of guys who can attack oh no nah, no nah. he's i mean well he, he can't, can't pass. pass and he's but yeah uh, no I, I wouldn't say i mean he's going against second that's unit true. big man I, I he's not really in this conversation okay. to me and to what about and i'm sure people ask about boogie i i think of boogie when he's engaged that he can be really challenging because again he has a lot of he's strong for his position and he's an underrated passer but i just don't think he's consistent enough to be in this conversation yeah i think that's right and he wants to just kind of face and and drive from the perimeter these days days too uh, i mean it is it, i also like the guys who like make it difficult on you not only just by like a static post up but also really like will duck in and, and make your life kind of miserable there and cleveland has done a nice job they did it in this game too they run a lot of sets where they have a small guy who can shoot back screen lebron and then if he doesn't get the alley-oop he's got the advantage and they can throw it right down to him and he's going to get a foul uh, on a lot of those plays uh, so yeah i think lebron would would probably be it for me um I think Kawhi Leonard actually is someone who is very, very difficult to deal with in the post for a lot of guys. He's able to get his shoulder into guys, create space and score. And, you know, obviously the line between an ISO and a post up is blurred a lot these days. But, you know, I think if you're really receiving the ball within maybe like 17, 16 feet from the basket and turning and facing with a live dribble, that's like pretty close to a post up to me. That's kind of the same thing I would think. So, um, you know, it used to be Al Jefferson used to be in that conversation. He's a, a little bit over the hill now. And I think a guy who could be stopped by good defense. So yeah, LeBron is my answer. I think he and, and Carl Towns are the two though, that are really a, a step beyond just about anyone else. I would love to see Joel Embiid get better here. One of the big things he has to do is just turn the ball over a lot less, but he at this point is a lot more comfortable turning and facing. And so as he develops, you know, gets more comfortable, he can work his way into this, but he absolutely is not there yet. Yet. Okay, the next question that we, we wanted to talk about, which I thought was interesting, is who is the most underrated starter in the NBA? And yeah, these are kind of hard because underrated, you're, but if you just think about maybe someone that you think is a quality player who starts on a good team that just doesn't really get mentioned enough 
as someone who deserves credit for uh, what the team is doing it's also hard because our pool of people is very different not only like you and and our basketball friends but also the people who listen to this podcast are also different from like you know the general you know let's say tv studio talking heads or something like that and so the first guy that i thought of and i think he deserves at least mention in this is robert covington because what covington brings is yeah he's a very talented team defender he's good one-on-one too he is just nailing all of his open shots this year but he's you know he's had those moments he's been inconsistent with with philly and he fills an archetype that is exceedingly valuable and exceedingly rare and so i love guys that can do that and i think you could plug and play him on an absurdly large number of teams and he could provide value basically and especially when you think about the guys like you say oh well you wouldn't want to play him next to a certain type of of three well a lot of those guys are fours now like you could play him next to Giannis, it would work you could play him next to lebron it would work and so i think he's in the conversation another guy that i thought of again one that our group loves but a lot of other people don't appreciate is ricky rubio rubio when he was in minnesota basically every single year the offense would look so much better when he was out there than when he wasn't and his teammates and his the bench players on those teams were changing around all the time he's also a wonderful defender for his position his position has less important defense but he's there so those were the two guys that i thought of and and it makes sense that they would be underrated because they're good in ways that are harder to appreciate and their weaknesses are easier to see yeah a few others that come to mind as being part of i think covington might be the answer to this and i'm thinking of guys who you know have not made an all-star team guys who have not made like an all defense team necessarily you know just don't and just don't really get fond over so middleton is one of those guys i think josh richardson could become one of those guys he's got to get a little bit better offensively but he's definitely there from a defensive standpoint james ennis is someone actually who i think is yeah that's a, that's a good call a totally i like james ennis a lot starter in memphis uh for sure this is Um, uh, this i don't know if this it's just being a being in the bay area and all that but i do feel at moments like clay thompson is underrated he's a different type of it but just like uh, you see games you weren't at the game last night but when he was doing a great job on jimmy butler and then those first two rounds of the playoffs i don't think he's in this conversation but i do think that because he fills his role so ably people forget that he can do more than that well i mean he did have one of like the great playoff performances in nba history in that game six and he's made yeah i I, again i i I, I just wanted to mention him i don't think he's in consideration for the like quote-unquote award you know who i think is someone that probably doesn't get enough credit for how efficient he's been these last few years is darren collison Mm -hmm. and i think he's helped the pacers this year as well i mean he's you know he's he he didn't get a great contract this year you know he got uh, basically 10 million guaranteed and then another 1.5 guaranteed out of his 10 million for next year but I think he's someone who just you know can help helm an offense to a decent degree. He's matured in, into a quality shooter. I mean, he was kind of known as a, a guy who wasn't good enough defensively early in his career. It was kind of a whipping boy a little bit for the Clippers defensively. Couldn't get over a screen, but and for where he's been at in terms of his salary, you would have to look at it. Seth Curry maybe is someone too, although Curry has been out so far. What about season. Stephen Adams? Uh, that's now. Nah, he, he, gets he got praise. like a ton of pub in, in 2016, and he's also getting paid $20 million a year that's now, true. too. You know, I think that's it, how much a guy is being paid is certainly a, a big part of that as well. Um, yeah, and then I guess he, he made the all-star team last year, but I think we still probably overlook what Kemba Walker has done these last couple of years. Yeah, I like that. I mean, he, he's just been so important for their offense in, in Charlotte. Like, he's been the alpha and the omega for them, and they've, you know, they've needed every single iota of that. All right, I think that'll do it 
for today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll close out the week here and be back with 15 and 60 Western Conference on Sunday night. Talk to y'all then. Fantasy basketball fans, listen up. It's not too late to join the highest rated fantasy football app, Draft. Download the app anytime to search Draft in your app store and play in a snake draft. Not a salary cap league gives you a better chance for the typical player to win. You can try it on your computer at draft.com. Just make sure that you enter that cap space code so you can get free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. Play a real money game for free using the promo code CAPSPACE. Let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.